Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Five Rings to Rule Them All. I'm Sid Ziegler. I first contacted Tony Scoppenbilton back in 2012. It was right before the Summer Olympics there in London. He was in the UK and I had stumbled across a very comprehensive list of former LGBT Olympians. Some current, some former. Uh, at the time, Tony's list was, oh, you know, it was several dozen. Um, we had some on our list that, that, that Tony didn't have. He had some that we didn't have on our list. And since then, Tony has really become the caretaker of the definitive list of LGBTQ Olympians. That is, people who competed when they were uh, out and people who, since they've competed, Tony has learned their LGBTQ. They go back for literally over 100 years. And Tony, I've been wanting to have him on this podcast since I started it, because literally Tony is the world's leading historian on LGBTQ athletes and coaches in the Olympic Games. His list now exceeds 400 people. And I just think that's such an important thing to, to highlight as some people talk about the Olympic Games being dangerous for LGBTQ people, the incredible impact that the Olympic Games has had on the visibility of LGBTQ people in sports. It really can't be overstated. It's like no, it's like no other sports entity. Anyhow, I'm, I'm thrilled that we finally found time to have Tony on the podcast, and he shares some really great stories about a couple of uh, out Olympians who you you probably never heard of, and Tony uh, tells their stories perfectly. Anyhow, enjoy my conversation with LGBTQ Olympic historian Tony Scuppenbilton. Tony, I'm so glad to, to finally be talking to you for the podcast. I'm curious just to start, give people an idea of what drew you to do so much research and work in and around LGBTQ history in general. Well, there, there are two halves to that because my main uh, interest is the Olympics and LGBT Olympians. Um, but the Olymp interest in the Olympics started way back. But I didn't get into the LGBT side to it until about 2004, 2005. Um, and that's when uh, I really noticed that the media were actually naming various openly gay and lesbian and bisexual and such like uh, people who were actually competing at the games. So in 2004, when I stopped, uh, when I noticed that, and then it more or less took off after that, after after that, and then it really got started really in a big way um, in uh, 2011 in the run up to the London 2012 games. So I thought that's a great opportunity for me to really get some something really big done for, uh, for the community. And that's when I really started listing everybody and searching and researching them. In those early days when, you know, the, um, the internet <clears throat> wasn't so populated with news and information as it is now, mm. was it the internet that you used mostly for your research or were you diving into libraries and other places? 
Um, the, uh, at first, it was just the um, LGBT media, like in the UK, there was um, the Gay Times magazine, which is still going, um, and there was um, the Pink Paper, which was a, a bi-weekly newspaper, which unfortunately um, uh, went out of business a while ago. And they, uh, they did uh, um, a lot of the things that got me interested in in athletes and the Olympics and then uh, I moved on to um, looking on the internet a little bit later on and of course most of it now is internet based. You, you talked about the the run-up to the 2012 Olympics which London uh, hosted beautiful Olympic Games. <clears throat> How many athletes were you able to identify at that time? Um, without looking on the list uh, on the database, I think I managed to get uh, close to 100 in time for London 2012. And that's that, that included Paralympians as well, by the way. Yeah, right. And and I know that you include um, uh, you also include in that people who um, competed at the Olympic trials. Is that correct? Um, I did a couple because they actually went on to compete in the Olympics. Uh, afterwards, but uh, I, I split the the uh, the lists into two now. So there's just one complete Olympic competitor list, and there's another one of about 200 who are in the trials and qualification events and selection events and that sort of thing. Uh, one of the things that's interesting about your list is you include people who competed in uh, the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s. How mm. do you go about figuring out who was actually LGBTQ 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago? Uh, well, there are one or two of them who were um, quite notable in the, in the media at the times, like um, there was Stella Walsh, the, uh, the Polish sprinter, and uh, Helen Stevens, and, and they were in the 1930s, the 1932, 1936 Olympics. And um, then a bit, more, a bit more research, and I managed to get a little bit further back with um, uh, the earliest, uh, which was a Danish tennis player called Leif Rothsing, who was in uh, 1912 Olympics, I think it was. He would have been in the 1916 Olympics if it wasn't um, cancelled. Uh, and it was around that time when he was being accused in the press and in the, uh, the, the Tennis Association in Denmark of um, being homosexual, and he admitted it. And he is actually from 1917. He actually became probably the first LGBT sports advocate for gay inclusion in sport. So there is one or two little hints in various records, but um, it's nothing like now where actually people can come out and it's actually there in the in the press and in the media with them saying, no, this is my gender identity, this is my sexuality. Uh, but in the old days, it had to be more forced out of them. Um, but I, I imagine there are still quite a few um, who we don't know about who competed in some of the re really early Olympics and we probably never will know. Talking about Leif Robson, I think is so interesting. On your list, you, you say that he's the earliest known campaigner for homosexual inclusion in sport in the 1920s. What yes. was he doing then that was advocating for inclusion? Um, well, it took, well, he was banned by the um, 
the tennis association because of it they said right you know you've admitted it and we don't want that in our uh, sport at all so he was banned from playing on the international circuit he could play one or two club matches and uh, various local matches and one or two national unofficial uh, matches but he couldn't actually represent his nation and and that's what got him started on really saying to the, the tennis association look um this is what I am. I can't change what I am. And I can play tennis. You know, I've played tennis for this country for years and you've liked what I've done and you've stopped me from representing my nation because of my sexuality. And I don't think that's right. And then he started gathering a few uh, uh, colleagues together and he started this. Uh, I can't remember if it, if it was actually a movement or not, but he was one of the first voices who did say from time to time um you know gay inclusion in sport and lesbian inclusion in sport uh, should not be uh, banned or restricted or discriminated against at all years later as the nazis rose to power in germany and obviously <laughs> took control of most of europe did do you, mm. have you come across any complications that he faced with that did i mean admitted homosexual surely with his profile must have been mm. in the crosshairs of the Nazis. Um, I don't, I think luckily he, he managed to keep himself more or less out of, not out of the way as such, but he, he managed to keep himself, um, he protected himself, I think, because he, he was aware of that was what was going on. Um, but he was also aware of one of his own countrymen called Niels Book, who was a gymnast coach, who was also openly gay, who was actually um, one of Adolf Hitler's, no, big, no, Adolf Hitler was one of his biggest fans. And so I think Leif was very aware that to be openly gay um, might be a little bit of a, a, a two-edged sword. You know, people might support him in his fight for uh, against the Nazis, but then you might think, well, he might be on the side of Niels Buch and be one of Adolf Hitler's you know, big fans and his group of uh, uh, supporters and such like. So it was very, it was very complicated. A lot more going on in, in Denmark at that time, revolving around the royal family and, and the Swedish royal family, the connection with the Norway, Norwegian royal families, um, which would probably take about three years to explain properly. But um, <laughs> uh, it was one of those situations where I think he he, he said to himself, right, um, I better sit this one out. I keep me on things, how things are progressing. I won't cause too many waves uh, in case it goes in the wrong direction for me personally. And fortunately, he managed to get through the war and continued with his um, uh, coaching and founded a, a quite a, a famous tennis coaching school, after, no, more or less around that time. Did the Danish government ever, before he died in 1977, apologize? I don't think there was any official apology, no, but I think they've recognized um, his um, tennis achievements since then. I'm not sure if they've actually acknowledged that he was um, um, an, uh, an advocate for gay inclusion or anything like that, but they do recognize him as one of their greatest sportsmen, yeah. Not many people know more about an area of LGBTQ athletes than, than Jim Bozinski or me, but you know way more than we do about any of this stuff. Share with us uh, just a couple other athletes or stories, particularly some of those earlier ones that jump out at you as particularly interesting. 
Um, well, I think we really think, uh, we, we picture the, the Olympics now as just sport, but way back in the early days, it included things like uh, arts, literature, poetry, and even town planning, and then actually gold medals for that. And um, one of the first um, uh, LGBT people that I uh, uh, have managed to find who was actually involved in that was uh, one of the um, uh, Swedish Nobel Prize winners, Selma Lagerlöf, who was a, a, um, actually a judge at one of the earliest uh, Olympic literature com uh, competitions. Um, and in, I think it was 1948, there was a uh, South African poets who actually uh, entered the the last of the what they call them the art competitions in the Olympics but there is one actually story that I, that I always I always smile about because it's one of the things that one of these weird things that appealed to me and it's about um, um, the 19 uh, well it was the Helsinki Olympics I think it was Hel um, uh, 1952 and it was Marjorie Lana who was a um, javelin thrower from the USA she was just a teenager I think she was about 15 at the time so she went to Helsinki but they weren't allowed to take their own javelins so she had to buy some javelins or were supplied with some javelins when they got to the Olympics but on the day off she just went wandering around town with a friend and she wandered into a shop into a sports shop there and uh, she saw one of these uh, javelins and she, she quite liked the look of it and it was a really expensive one and um, she handled it now she did all the 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 the, 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 um, the arm movements and she weighed it and everything like that and the shopkeeper noticed that she was taking such an interest in this javelin and um, Marjorie said, well, I, there's no way I can afford this. It's twice as much as what I've got. So um, the shopkeeper said, oh, right, well, in that case, I'll let you have it for half price. So she bought it for half price and off she went. And a couple of days later, the opening ceremony of the, the Olympics, and it was um, actually a foul day, tipping it down with rain, and everybody was soaking wet. And uh, Marjorie was just standing there. She was pleased to be there, of course, but um, she didn't really perk up until she noticed a face in the crowd. Well, it wasn't in the crowd, actually, it was on the track. And she noticed that the man who sold her the javelin in that shop was actually carrying the Olympic torch. And he was the man who actually lit the, um, the Olympic cauldron at the Helsinki Olympics. And that gave Marjorie Lani the, the larger, the, the, the biggest boost that she'd ever had, she said. It gave her such an uh, encouragement and such that, that this, who happened to be one of the, the, the big Finnish uh, uh, Olympic heroes, sporting heroes. Um, and, and from then on, no, she went on to, uh, I think she went to the next Olympics as well. I don't think she medaled though. But um, that's one of the little stories that I like. It's not actually a sport involving, no, the story involving sport. It's a story connected to the per person and, and their um, involvement in a, a specific event. Where do you find these stories, Tony? Well, the, <laughs> fortunately, I don't have much else to do at the minute. <laughs> uh, being in, um, well, we've been in lockdown. But, you know, it's one of the things that I've always done. Um, I've always been good at research and, and, and doing um, various historical things. And it's only the internet and, um, and websites like, like, it, like yours, like Outsports, that provides enough information and enough clues for me to go and look for something uh, elsewhere. And um, even uh, last week when I um, added one of the 
another name to the, the list of Olympians. Doing the research on that, I came across another, another name which I hadn't known. So that's uh, a, a knock-on effect. Everything I do seems to um, bring a new, a new lead and lead me on to another one. And it's, uh, it's, it's not something that most historians tend to do. They tend to concentrate on what they're doing, but I, I want to go in other directions. I want to go and see what all of these clues are, and it spreads out from there. So, uh, you know, it's like a big spider's web. I'm the spider in the middle going out and catching all these, these flies that are bouncing around on the web, seeing if they can lead me on to some more food and such like. So, um, yeah, it's something I'm, I'm uh, really, no, it's, it's really what I'm into. I enjoy it and it takes up quite a lot of my time and it's never boring because you find something new every time. So headed into the 2012 <clears throat> London Olympics, you said you had somewhere around 100. How mm. many are on the list today? Um, well, uh, from uh, this morning, there are 413 and there are... <laughs> And the three more, which I've finished researching today, which I will put on uh, the list tomorrow. Who, who are those three? Uh, oh, blimey. Um, there was um, Ray Marie Parkins, who was a uh, figure skater at the Youth Olympics. I think I'll, no, I haven't put her on yet. She's, she's next on the list. Um, there's a, a tennis player and there is a um, Port the very first Portuguese athlete, um, a judoka from uh, uh, Portugal, uh, called Cilio. Oh, what was his surname? But well, anyway, yeah, there was a the him and um, the names keep going into my head. And as soon as I find another one, you know, they go out again. So I'm not clouding the head with all, with all these names. So um, uh, that, that, fortunately, I have more on the list. But uh, yeah, those are the, re the recent ones. 413 is amazing. And there's a uh, a few weeks ago, I talked to a couple of women who say that uh, the Olympics are dangerous for LGBT people and we need to end the Olympics because they're dangerous for the community. And I pointed to your list and say, look at all of the incredible LGBTQ athletes who had opportunity because of the Olympics. Uh, today, the, the high profile they bring, the acceptance mm. that they accelerate. Um, what is your perspective on on the effect that all of these people have had on the Olympics and on society? Uh, well, I, I think you, you just actually said, you know, the, the, the list proves that uh, there isn't such a, a, a big homophobic uh, attitude towards uh, going to the Olympics as, as some people might might think. I wonder if those two uh, people who criticise it have actually actually been to the Olympics or competed in the Olympics, uh, a, a full Olympics. But um, more and more athletes who come out, yeah, they do definitely um, inspire other athletes. You know, um, even um, in the last couple of weeks, you know, there's a, a couple of athletes who have, uh, uh, have come out. Um, the, uh, uh, the Brazilian gymnast, for instance, he came out on um, uh, coming out day, I believe, uh, last month. And they influence others, and it, it just grows and grows and grows. And the fact that I've got 413 names on the list today is something that I am actually beginning to um, 
can't get my head around to be honest because when I got to 300 a year ago I, I, I said to myself well I think that's probably about it I shouldn't get to 400 but I'm well past it now and I've got enough names to go on and I think I might get 450 in time for Tokyo so um, it's one of those things that will snowball a lot of people will probably um, you know, be looking at all these openly gay athletes and LGBT athletes, um, Olympians, non-Olympians, whatever sport they're in. And they'll probably say, yeah, the time is right for me to come out as well, because in, in their personal life, a lot of, uh, a lot of time, no, they've had a, um, one or two um, uh, bad incidents in their, in their sporting life. But generally, I think you know, they'll probably realize that the, the good parts outweigh the bad parts as long as you can deal with the bad parts and get them and resolve them the good parts will will more than make up for more than make up for them and um you know it, it's one of these things that snowballs as soon as one person does it there'll be another person and another and another and another until we'll probably at a stage where um, we won't be able to count them anymore and there'll be so many especially in America that I've noticed um, uh, on your website, there's all these collegiate athletes who are, are coming out on a regular basis. A lot of them may go on to become Olympians and there'll, there'll be hundreds of them in, in a couple of years time. So um, uh, I, I hope that, that that is the way that the things will, will turn out. And, uh, and at the moment, that is probably uh, my feeling of uh, what will actually happen. We'll get more and more and more. And the homophobia within the sport, although I, I doubt it will ever go away, it will be challenged. Uh, it'll, it'll, well, definitely be challenged. And um, it will be uh, resolved, but it'll be slow. It, it's not one of these things that are going to happen overnight. And... Um, uh, hopefully there's a lot of people who are not even sports people as well who will um, back all the athletes up and join the campaigns uh, to kick out homophobia in sport and uh, in, in particular one of my own favourites uh, uh, campaigns is the, um, the, the kick out homophobia in football campaign so um, there are a lot of these things going on and it'll build up and I'm sure it'll build up and uh, it'll influence a lot of youngsters who are around today who are, well, first of all, questioning their sexuality and gender identity. And then they'll be saying, well, how does that affect me in my sport and how I perform and how my teammates, if they're in a team or their coaches and sort of how they react and how or if they can welcome them into the sport. And it's one of these things that will grow, I think. And um, I think we're, we're fortunate that we're, we're at the beginning of it and we're here at the birth of that sort of, that blooming of the um, LGBT sports community. On your list, you include a couple of anonymous athletes. Uh, yes. I'm curious um, how you know about them and, and why you decided to include them, even if they're anonymous. Um, well, the, the, they are anonymous because they themselves have informed me that they don't want their names to be made public. Um, but they didn't say they didn't want to be included on the list. So I put them anonymous, but I haven't made any reference to um, specific uh, events. Also, I, I've been as general as possible sure. uh, because I think they, they have a... Um, 
a right to be included on 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 the list so so you so you personally know they've reached out to you or you personally have um confirmed who they are but they yes. have said please don't use my name yes they have uh, they have actually admitted that they are on, uh, in the lgbt community and they did actually say you know please don't um uh, include my name but they didn't say that i couldn't include that they their sport and whatever medals they were and what um event um and which Olympics they competed at, but as I said, I don't think there's enough evidence in the in the in the lists that I give that will actually identify them specifically. Sure. Um, what? Uh, give us an idea breakdown. Do you, do you have an idea of what percentage of all these 413 athletes are men and how many are women? Uh, yeah, um, it, it's roughly. Um, Two thirds women, one third uh, and men. Um, there are 124 men, and if I can see my list, uh, 285 women. And that in that includes win uh, summer and winter uh, Olympics. And and what sport or sports are the are the most most gay? <laughs> yeah. What are the yeah. ones that have the most athletes included? Uh, well, there's the, the top three, which I think people might actually guess. There's the uh, uh, the top three. There's the women's football, uh, men's figure skating, and um, uh, track and field. Um, and in the, in the figure skating, as I say, it, it virtually is all men. I think it's two only two female uh, figure skaters. And in football, there's only one male footballer in in, in that group. Who's the male footballer? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I I've got to find my list now. Um, oh, that's okay. I, <laughs> I think I think you'll. Uh, it's on the list there somewhere. Yeah. Somewhere. Oh well, Robbie Rogers. Of right. course, yes. Yeah. Yeah, about Robbie Rogers. Yeah, American. And 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 from just a quick perusal, it looks like the United States is the most represented country. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's, I think the, the, the gay, you've got 85 representatives in the USA, and of course, a lot of them weren't openly gay at the time, and um, uh, a, a lot of them uh, um, just came out in, in the last two or three Olympics. You know, it's really, um, really grown in number, the number of out American Olympians. Yeah, I'm curious if, if the reason there are so many Americans on the list is a function of the media, that is, the, the American media has for quite some time now, I think ahead of a lot of other countries' media, focused mm -hmm. on this topic. And so, you know, we've been in the United States been writing about it for, for a lot longer than a lot of places. I, yeah. I wonder if that's part of the reason. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. Yeah, no, um, um, in, in here in the UK, we don't have quite as much of the, uh, the LGBT sports media as you have. Uh, in America over there but of course one of the other things you've got to put uh, uh, no put into account is that um, the, America is a very large country and you've got millions and millions of people and so you're, you're bound to have more uh, more openly gay athletes and probably a little country like um, no Ireland or something like that. <laughs> the Maldives yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you uh, joining and I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to see how how high the list can get before hopefully Tokyo happens next year. Yeah, yes. well, it's going, it's ongoing. I, I shouldn't say <laughs> it's never ending, to be honest. Yeah. Leave us, Tony, with uh, one other story of an athlete uh, whose story you really like or, or, or an athlete you've, you particularly enjoyed watching. Um. 
there are two sports which I've always watched, um, and this is figure skating and diving. And the two British Olympians who you probably guess who, who they're likely to be, um, John Curry and Tom Daly. Yeah. Um, it was John Curry that actually got me really interested in following the Olympics all the way through, because when he became the British European and world champion in, in 1975, there was a good chance that he would be the Olympic champion uh, in, 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 the, in, in, next, in the following thing. And so I really watched that. And of course, we all know he won the gold medal, he became the Olympic champion. And that's when I really became interested in in, in concentrating on the Olympics. And then there's Tom Daly. Um, in the UK, um, we, we've more or less been brought up on Tom Daly since he was about four or five, um, when he started being in the news and, and the, the media followed his, his career, his diving career and all through the problems and all the uh, the sadness with his father and everything. And, um, and of course, by the time of the 2012 Olympics, he was, probably one of the biggest sports star we've ever had in, in, in the UK. But one of the unusual things about Tom Daly is um, the fact that he started so early because he was at the 2008 um, Beijing Olympics, that was his first one, at the age of 13. And then he was in the first Youth Olympics in Singapore in 2010. Um, and the weird thing about that was that if the Olympics was the Youth Olympics um, uh, in 2008, he would have been too young to qualify being 13. But because it wasn't the Youth Olympics, he was there. So that's a weird situation of being too young to actually compete in the Youth Olympics, but he can compete in the Major Olympics. And um, coming up to Tokyo, he'll, he'll actually be, I think it'll be his fourth or fifth Olympics. So he's one of the what you might call the old timers. There aren't many who have been in four or five Olympics at all. Yeah, well, we're, we're, we're hoping for the best for him. The, the oh, heartbreak yeah. <laughs> of 2016, I just, I, I, I can only imagine what uh, yeah. emotions he went through after 2016. Yes, um, he, yeah, he's, he's, he's still going though. He keeps putting, putting stuff out there on Twitter and on YouTube. So uh, hopefully he'll be there next year. He's doing all right. Well, well, Tony, I really, again, appreciate your time. Uh, keep keep going with the list. If there's anything we can do at Outsport to help and support you in, in, in building the list, you just let us know. Oh, well, that's my pleasure. And all, all you need to do is just keep doing what you're doing and I'll keep looking at it. You know? <laughs> that's all I need, really. You know, It's, um, uh, it, it's uh, just a pleasure for me to actually uh, speak to you at long last and, and explain um, how I go about these things and what got me interested. I really encourage you to check out Tony's work uh, at his website, queerstoryfiles.blogspot.com. That's queerstoryfiles.blogspot.com. And he doesn't just look at uh, LGBTQ Olympians. He talks about LGBTQ people from all kinds of different areas. He's got a series now, 80 More Gays Around the World, and all just looking at all, all different kinds of LGBTQ people, most of whom you've probably never heard of before, but they're part of our community's history. And I just really thank Tony for all the work that he's put in. He's given me stories to write about, and I'm just thrilled to have him join us this week. Uh, next week, we will have an uh, Olympic medalist joining us. I'm not gonna tell you who, but I've been wanting to talk to this guy for a while. 
We've covered him before in Outsports, and he's got some interesting components to his story. In the meantime, I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Um, I hope you are able to gather with friends and family and uh, celebrate everything that you have to give thanks for. I know even though it's been a very difficult year for many, uh, I'm, I'm still going to find ways to, to give thanks and, and become present with what I have to be thankful for because it's a lot. Uh, thank you so much again for listening and come on back next week.